Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99 at participating U.S. restaurants. Price may vary. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM, Fight Nation, channel 156. Hey, what's going on, Busted Open Nation? It's Bully Ray, and you are in for a treat today. We don't get to do it too often. Calling this one the Hall of Fame and Pain edition of the Busted Open Podcast. Me and the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. The number one thing we're doing today is we are having fun. We're telling stories. We're talking about what we thought as professionals about SummerSlam, about Raw, about SmackDown Live. We're going to dive into Brock and Seth. We're going to get into Buddy Murphy and Roman Reigns. Talking everything about the world in pro wrestling. Talking with Jerry Lawler. Talking with the King. Talking one of the most iconic pro wrestlers and performers about what he's got going on in his career right now. And it was probably going to wind up telling us some great stories about Andy Kaufman. Uh, like I said, it's going to be fun, and we hope you enjoy it right here, happening now on the Busted Open Podcast. One of the things that really stuck out in my mind this week was the match between Roman Reigns and Buddy Murphy. And I really got into it with LaGreca and, and in a good way because I, I, I dissected what I saw as a fan and what I saw as a, as a professional. And as a professional, I was so impressed with what I saw from Roman Reigns. So I'm going to paint a broad stroke here. Right, what, did you, what did you think of the match between Roman and Buddy from the fan Mark Henry and from the professional Mark Henry? From the fan Mark Henry, the way that I looked at it, and I, I've seen Buddy work before, so it, his, his work was no secret to me how good he is. Um, but how he related to, how his work style related to what he did with Roman Reigns is, was poetry. Roman put him in a position for success and Buddy took it. It wasn't just he got given it. To, it, it was given to him. He went out and took it. And the ability to be able to even things up with a knee strike or even things up with a drop kick, like those are things that are one-on-one. It's wrestling one-on-one. Bang, bang, bang. You're doing your thing. And then all of a sudden, stop, block, wow, I'm going to hit you with this. And then let's even the odds and put everybody on an even playing field. That is what Buddy did better than a lot of the younger guys do because he has a repertoire of weapons. And now it's a, it matters to the psychology that Roman implemented. He put him in a place where his stuff would work. And that's all it was to it. And now... Buddy working with people like Roman is going to put him in a place where you get more reps and you learn how to work. He'll stop doing uh, 205 flips and, and spot shows, and he'll slow everybody down and say, hey, you know what? We get more out of this and this hold, and then you working out of this hole into this and me blocking it and hitting you with this knee than we would if we did just a, a complete spot fest. You know, a lot of people on social media were, were overwhelming positive, overwhelmingly positive. The negative that I did here on social media is that we were putting Roman over too much for this match. And people are like, well, didn't you ever see Buddy's matches on 205? He had great matches with Cedric. <clears throat> and he had great matches with Ali. And I kind of, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the woods and you're not there to hear it, does it make a sound? 
if a match is on 205 Live and you're not there to see it, is it really that over? R- Buddy Murphy, his stock goes up being in the ring with Roman Reigns and doing almost nothing a bajillion times more than being in a match in 205 with Cedric Alexander and having a 15-minute spot fest. And I, and I think fans don't realize how much this match did for Buddy Murphy just because he got the rub of standing in the same ring as Roman Reigns. You know what? I, I think that you're right, and I, I, it would be asinine for me to disagree. Uh, being in a ring with Roman Reigns elevated him because he was able to listen, and he took it. He went in a guy that we know very little about, except for he's on 205. He has great matches, but we didn't get to ever see him sell. We never got to see him. He There was elements of his game that were under the microscope, and then we got actually got to see what he is on the inside. We got to see him sell. We got to see him register something, and the whole the, – the biggest thing of, of it all was when he blocked Roman and he hit him with that high knee strike and they both went down and the camera panned in on his face, normally his ass would not be on the floor selling. He would be doing a spot fest. But they got to get drama. They got to zoom in and see his facial expression of him saying, damn, I, 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 can, I can make it. I can keep going. And then they pan the Roman's face. And Roman's like, damn it. This kid is tough. It started to tell stories with their eyes, with their expression, with their selling. And that's what Steve Austin told Christian. You got to learn how to sell. Slow down. Let the world see who you really are. And that, my friend, is what we got to see with Buddy Murphy. And now Buddy Murphy realizes, wow, it's like I can slow down and not be blown up. He's going to be a better guy now. And him being in the ring with Daniel Bryan is going to be even more so of a feather in his hat because, like I said, outside of Bully and Christian, Daniel Bryan is one of those guys that has that brilliant mind, and he he can he's got the ability to make Buddy Murphy go. You know what? People don't know who I am now, but they will tomorrow. You know the the moment in time that really resonated with me in that match is when Buddy kicked out of the Superman punch. I mean, think about it, Mark. A two hundred five live guy that most people don't know about it is kicking out of a move that Roman Reigns has beaten a list stars with the Superman punch. And here's Buddy Murphy of all people kicking out of it. And when Buddy kicked out of the Superman punch, it's almost as if time slowed down for a moment, the Mm -hmm. look on Roman Reigns face. And I compared the look on Roman Reigns face to the look on the Undertaker's face when Shawn Michaels kicked out. It was that look of disbelief. You could not believe that this person, and in Roman Reigns' mind, this kid kicked out of the Superman punch. And that told a tremendous story for me. I always talk on the show about the art of going over and the art of getting over and how getting over is so much more important than going over. Um, There's no doubt that Roman went over. Buddy got over. Buddy got over to the moon. Buddy got over so much that he actually sent out a tweet. And I want to ask you about this tweet, Mark. He sent out a tweet that said, now the whole world knows my name. If you were Buddy Murphy, would you send that tweet out? I, I would not have sent that tweet out. Okay. I, I would let now everybody else talk about it. 
Now, let me see if me and you were on the same page. He sent the tweet out that says, now the whole world knows my name. As a professional, knowing what we know about how things can happen in the WWE, why would you not send that tweet out? Because now, what if you're not on TV for the next two weeks? (laughs) Exactly. Because we know how much quick things can change. Yeah. Everybody, Everybody might know your name this week. But in the snap of a finger, if the old man wakes up on the wrong side of the bed next Monday on Raw or SmackDown, you know damn well that the people might forget your name forever. Right? And 100% preach. And so, you know, you, you went to the Twitter machine, and uh, I, I like to um, do the same thing. Um, Cactus Jack, he... Um, he, he's listening to the show. Thank you, Cactus, for listening. He said, Captain Charisma has always been a fan of mine. Uh, listening to how much respect that Bully and Mark have for him brought a smile to my face. I hope Christian goes down and helps with at WWE NXT. And that, that would be great to see Christian go down there and him and Road Dog work together. Like that would that would be awesome for him to be on the creative side for a new program. They're gonna need ideas. When they go to Fox, they're gonna need somebody like him. And I, I hope that the WWE hears this and um gives him a call and say, you know what, man, we need another set of eyes. I, I would I would take a guy like Christian and and utilize him just to work with a guy like Buddy Murphy. Because what I saw from Buddy Murphy against Roman Reigns tells me that this guy has a ton of potential. We can do something with him. He's a brand mm-hmm. new star who has basically been made overnight by Roman Reigns. But is, is your confidence high that they will continue doing something with him. We've seen plenty of guys in the past, Mark Henry, who have had matches on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown where the entire world is talking about them one week and then next week. Where are they now? Exactly. So what is your confidence level in how WWE and creative will utilize Buddy? And if and this is just my opinion, Buddy has a lot of offensive capabilities, and he could do so many things. Like just watching him work, the difference between him working with M- Mustafa and watching him work with, um, uh, God, what's the C- young Cedric guy? Cedric Alexander, and uh, even uh, you know this it's is so horrible. But um, watching watching him work with those guys, he can change styles. Some guys stay the same when they work with everybody. And Buddy has the ability to be kind of what Christian said, a chameleon. He can adapt to other people's styles. So now if you get somebody that's brilliant and you say, hey, look, I'm going to be shadowing you the next 10 or so matches. Uh, let's work on this tonight. And I want you to sell more towards the camera so we can get better shots of you because it's a production thing. Like these guys are not used. They're used to going so fast and going from one corner to this corner. They're going to that. And I'm going to flip out on the floor when you sell up from this and they don't get the, Hey, um, when you get that super kick, I need you to sell and pull yourself up on the hard camera side so we can get a flat shot of you selling. That, there's, that's where the drama is. That's where the emotional value is. And and the guys, they just, at 205, they don't work like that. Um, myself, you, we have all learned the lesson over our career that less is more. Do you think the light bulb went off for Buddy in this match with Roman? Because if you watch Buddy Murphy in a 205 live match, he's probably doing 10 moves against... And I'm just throwing numbers out there. Against Roman, he did five moves. But he's probably more over this week than he's ever been in his life. 
Do you think a guy like Buddy goes back to the locker room after that match and he says, wow, now I get it when veterans are telling me to slow down and less is more? Do, do you think it resonates with a, with a guy like that? I, I think it does. And I, he seems like a guy that can listen. But coming from me, it's my opinion. I think this is a question that we need to ask Buddy Murphy. Um, I'm going to make a couple of calls uh, after the show today and see if we could get him on because there's a couple of questions and a couple of things that I think would be very educational for him to come on with you, I, and Dave. Um, like, this, this, is, this is becoming something that I think can change the whole landscape of pro wrestling not just for the WWE, but for all brands of wrestling around the world, if we can get guys to have a little bit of humility and to just learn to listen to people that have been there, that they can, they can, they can make that move. They can make that next step to greatness. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Or on demand with the SiriusXM app. Our next guest, you'll be able to see him tonight at Northeast Wrestling's Prison Break at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, a place that we have both performed at. A great place to watch pro wrestling. Northeast Wrestling presents Prison Break. Uh, You can catch it on the High Spots Wrestling Network. And the tag team champions of Jerry Lawler and Keith Youngblood will be taking on King Brian and David Arquette. Arquette no! And, yeah, Arquette and the King in the ring together. And in the main event, we got John Moxley versus Pentagon Jr. for the first time ever. And I'd like Whoa. to bring on our guest right now, Hall of Famer, top of the food chain when it comes to workers, personalities, and entertainers in this business, Jerry the King Lawler. King, how are you today? I'm doing great, and how are you and Mark doing today, man? We're making we, it. <laughs> yeah, we're doing great. Uh, and you're Listen, on your I'm way. Just, to- I'm, 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 Bubba, I'm just listening to you talk about that car tonight, and I'm thinking in my mind, what the hell is it? 1983 again? I mean, is this like another Lawler Kaufman deal? I mean, David Arquette is. I don't know what's going through this man's mind, uh, unless he's just, unless he was just, uh, you know, caught up in that whole whole uh, deal that that I did with Andy Kaufman, and he wants to try to relive it or something. I don't get it. Do you think that's what he's trying to do, King? You I think, think he's so. Trying to, it sounds like it. You think like he's trying to catch lightning in a bottle again and get the rub off of you? <laughs> well, uh, I, no, I don't think I don't think he's trying to get the rub off me. But of course, Andy Andy was never trying to get the rub off me. I tried to get the rub off of Andy back <laughs> in the day. You know, Andy was the Andy was the big star. On uh, on Taxi, which was the number one rated television show in the in the country at the time, so I was the one trying to get the rub off of Andy, and and I, I don't think that uh, you know I think that David is a certainly a, a big enough star that he he doesn't think he needs to he he may think uh, he may want the wrestling rub and the fact that yeah he may want to he may want to kind of legitimize what he's done so far up till now. Uh, by by you know having having some matches with me or whatever, but I mean I, I because I really think that the guy is uh, I, I think he really takes this serious. I think that he's really and I can't figure out exactly why, but at, at this point in his uh, career, that all of a sudden he wants to be a real pro wrestler. I, I, can you guys figure what that would be? What his thinking would be? King, I I, I hate to, I, I hate to go a little bit backwards, but uh, you mentioned Andy Kaufman. Uh, is it true, and, and you would probably know this better than anybody because you were involved in it, that he he wouldn't take a payday, that he, he, he did it because he just loved wrestling and he wanted to be involved and he felt like that him taking money would take money from the wrestlers? Well, you know, we, we didn't realize that until after Andy passed away. Because we were we were writing Andy checks every single week, and here's the, here's the reason why it was more than one check. A lot of people, a lot of the fans, they only heard about the one big famous match that we had there at the Mid South Coliseum, where I gave him a couple pile drivers, and he went to the hospital and spent three days in the hospital in traction. 
Uh, and, and, you know, that got a lot of publicity around the country, and that led to he and I being on the David Letterman show. But Andy was so Andy was so thrilled with being a part of the wrestling that he kept coming back. And if you remember, you know, we had in our territory down in Memphis, we ran every Monday night. We ran a live show at the Mid-South Coliseum, 10,000-seat arena, every single Monday night. And then on Louisville, we'd have, uh, on Tuesday night, all the same wrestlers would go up to Louisville. You know, it was the territory days. And then we go to Evansville on Wednesday, and and we'd be in a different city wrestling every single week. And Andy came down after that one big match, and he stayed with us for oh man, eight probably seven or eight months. And he was just he was like being a part of our territory. And he was wrestling. I mean, we he would just keep coming back, and uh, you know after the after the after the wrestling match, he he came on TV one week and said. Uh, you know, I, I've been training with Muhammad Ali, and forget about the wrestling. He's showing me how to be a boxer, and I'm going to go in there with boxing gloves, and I'm going to knock Lawler out. I promise everybody, I'll knock him out. So he came back in a boxing match. He teamed up with Jimmy Hart, he, uh, and came back in, in handicap matches. And uh, he brought in all of these. He then put a bounty out on me, and was there every week to bring in different guys like Jesse the Body Ventura and and uh, a bunch of the guys from the AWA at the time. So he and would not take a payday. For, well, he took the payday. We, we we you know we gave him checks every single week, but then uh, his brother uh, told us after that his brother Michael, after Andy died, um, they found all those checks. He'd never cashed one of them. Wow. I'm telling you, man, I, I love the history of wrestling. And so when I hear stories, I, I want to keep it in my data bank and just wait until the, the moment. And this was my chance to ask that <laughs> if, if it was true or not. That is unbelievable. But I, I see David Arquette as one of those guys to answer your question. He loves the business, and I'm sure David is cashing his checks. But I <laughs> yes. see him... I see him as somebody that's very Andy Kaufman-like, uh, very well-known, very established in Hollywood, but still, nonetheless, loves wrestling more than Hollywood. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's the way Andy was. Andy actually told me at one time uh, when we first got to, you know, when we started getting into that thing, he said, man, I would give up everything that I'm doing in Hollywood, the comedy club, taxi especially. He really never even enjoyed doing taxi. But he said, I'd give up everything that I'm doing out there if I could just stay involved with wrestling. He really, and he, you know, that, it was weird about Andy. He loved wrestling so much from a, from a kid. He told me that as a kid growing up, he was from Long Island, New York, and he said the first guy that he really uh, started getting into was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. And he said, I watched, he said, I, could, I would watch him on TV and, uh, and he said, this shaped my entire performing career. He said, because I could watch Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, and I could tell. I could tell that he was intentionally trying to make the fans hate him. And he said, but at the same time, he was still popular. And he said, that, that was sort of the, uh, the thought process that I had when I got into doing uh, comedy. Well, he hated to be called a comedian. And Andy would say, I've never told a joke in my life. He said, I'm not a comedian, uh, but when he, he was a performance artist, and he enjoyed making people upset or uncomfortable or mad more than he did making people laugh or, or, or have a good time. And he, he got was that, a heel. You know, he got that from what? Yeah, he was a heel from the, from the get-go. You're right. <laughs> I, I'll tell anybody any time that I, I, I never was a bully, but i tell you what, I love being a heel. And uh, walking out there with that red on, being happy, smiling, Mark Henry made me want to puke. Oh, I, I hated it. And But you know what? This was, go smile. And I'm like, okay. And I would go out there and smile. But when I got to be, wear black and gold and say, you know what? I'm going out here and I'm going to make people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be what people really think I am. I want you to walk on the other side of the street when you see me coming. That was the best time of my life. Oh, oh yeah, it so is absolutely. Fun. It is absolutely more fun in this business that's to be a heel than it is to, uh, you know, to try to make the fans love you. It's easy. King. It's almost easy to make them hate you, but it's, not, it's tough to make them love you. 
Yeah. Well, King, we, we've seen you be both in your careers. Uh, in your career, we've seen you be the most hated guy in the building or the most loved guy in the building. You talked about how you enjoyed being a heel. Was that in your wheelhouse? Did you feel that you were a better heel than you were a babyface? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always enjoyed being a heel and, and felt that I was better at that. And, you know, something that, that uh, I, I sort of like to take – pride in uh in helping create was back in back in the early 90s when i first came i came from our memphis territory that i was talking about earlier and at the time i was you know i was the top baby face there i was the main guy and and uh all the different heels that came in from around the country you know i'd work with all of them uh, on a regular basis and then at the same time i was started up in the wwe where i, I became a heel but I was and and doing the Kings Court and working working with Brett the Hitman Hart and the people hated me up there. But when I came back down to Memphis during the weekends and stuff like that and worked in Memphis, I was still you know I was the king. Everybody still loved me down there. So what happened? What wound up happening was we got to bring Brett and Owen down to Memphis to work with me in Memphis uh, because you know it was such a big thing nationally and it was the role reversal. All of a sudden, that Brett, Brett was just—he uh, he loved it as well. But he was kind of in shock. He said, "I can't." It was the first time he had ever had the fans boo him, and and it, you know it was just because they, they, he was going against the hometown hero and me. And so, uh, but he and he and Owen both loved coming down there and working several matches with us, where where the fans, you know, where they were heels. And then what happened was all of a sudden. Vince McMahon himself came down and worked, and and then the people hated him. If he came down, he brought uh, he came down to be in Brett the Hitman Hart's corner in Memphis, and uh, he brought Pat Patterson with him as his bodyguard. And it, and I'm running around the ring chasing Brett, and Vince reached out and tripped me. And uh, you know he was the, the people hated him. He was a big heel, and I swear to you, he loved it as well. And that was the start. That was actually the start of the heel Mr. McMahon right there. in Memphis. Wow. I remember you telling me that story, King, in a locker room one day. And it, Mark, is that your first time hearing that? Yes. Now, I, I, man, I'm, I'm sitting here tripping. Like, where have you been? You've been holding out, King. <laughs> well, you know what? I was, I was talking to Vince one time, not, not all that long ago on his plane. We were flying back from somewhere. And I, he had me tell him, I told him a couple of different stories, and he said, "Damn, King, you need to write a book." And I said, "Well, <laughs> I, actually, I actually did write a book. I was just, I wrote the second book with <laughs> your company after Mick Foley's book back in 2000." He said, "Well, you need to write another one." <laughs> uh, it's hey, not King, an idea unless it's his. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> King, we've been talking a little bit about your past wrestling accomplishments. Tonight, you're stepping in the ring in a tag match for Northeast Wrestling at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. And I think there are tickets still available. So if you don't have them and you're in the area, definitely get them. A couple of years ago, you had an unfortunate event where you did suffer a heart attack. But I saw you a couple of months ago. You look phenomenal. You look like you're 40 years old. You're in great shape. You're stepping in the ring tonight. How do you feel out there now? I mean, are you 100% confident out there? Do you feel 100% physically and mentally when you are in a ring based on the fact that you did suffer a heart attack a couple of years ago? Well, now, I'm so glad you asked that story because I'd love – I love to try to set the record straight, and I only get a chance to do it on people that come up to me and ask me on a personal note, you know, like in a restaurant or something, how do you feel after the big heart attack? And of course, now that, you know, that was in like 2012. So that's been uh, okay. quite a few years ago. And if, and a lot of people just don't realize what exactly happened. I didn't have a heart attack. It's two different things. I didn't have a heart attack where you've got a clogged artery or where you uh, – you know, all of a sudden you're, there's blood loss to your heart or, or a blood clot or something that causes a, an artery blockage. I had a cardiac arrest, which is totally different in the fact that a cardiac arrest, uh, like, like a heart attack, is, you know, your blood is all of a sudden not 
flowing to part of your heart, and it's getting damaged and that sort of thing. A cardiac arrest is sort of caused by a electrical uh, electrical impulses from your brain that tells your heart to keep beating. Suddenly, your heart just stops. And only uh, the truth of the matter is only 7 out of 1,000 people survive cardiac arrest, and that's because usually – those seven people that have them have them while they're in the hospital because if you don't get immediate care from a cardiac arrest, you're dead. I mean, and just fortunately, it happened at ringside, and our doctor, Doc Sampson, was sitting, literally sitting right next to me watching the match as I was, and he started CPR meeting. But my heart, once it stopped, it did not beat for 22 minutes. But wow. Doc Sampson and two other paramedics kept giving me CPR uh, for those 22 minutes until they got the paddles. They shocked me seven times, and once my heart started back and it, and it was on the right rhythm, uh, thank goodness for the CPR, uh, it was like I suffered no damage to my heart. And my wow. cardiologist told me later that my that um, cardiac arrest was caused by trauma. And what the trauma was, was I had just wrestled a match. Me and Randy Orton had just wrestled CM Punk and Dolph Ziggler right before it happened. And Dolph gave me 10 elbow drops in the center of the ring. He got me down. He said, 10 elbows. And I never forget. I mean, it's like itched in my brain. After the fifth one, I'm thinking to myself, damn, whatever happened to the days that we used to do this and not kill each other? I mean, oh my God! Those elbow drops were, and sure enough, the doctor said that that probably caught the trauma. After ten of those, knocked my heart off off rhythm, you know, symmetrically or something, not off rhythm. And then it took about ten minutes for it to just boom, it seized up and stopped. But then once once it got started back on the same, you know, on the same rhythm, uh, my original rhythm. It was like it never happened. Thank goodness for the CPR. But, I mean, when I came to in the hospital, I was in no pain. I've never had one minute's pain since then. I've never had one minute's problem since then. And to me, it's like it never even happened. Wow. What an unbelievable story. And I tell you what, I'm sure that everybody that's listening to the show right now had no, I, had no idea, no clue at all, because I didn't know that much about heart arrhythmia or heart attack or uh like you you just man you just said a mouthful yeah it was, i mean you know it was it was just it was crazy but uh I, you're right i at the time i didn't know the difference between a cardiac arrest and a heart attack i thought they were the same thing but absolutely absolutely not it's uh i mean you usually you know you usually die from a cardiac arrest thank goodness for doc samson and those people it's so funny and, uh, just two weeks ago, I'm walking through the Atlanta airport, and somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, man, save a guy's life, and he don't even recognize you in the airport. And I turned around, and there was Doc Samson, who now is, Whoa. by the way, yeah, now he's, by the way, he's working, he signed a contract with uh, AEW, and he's going to be one of their doctors. Well, good uh, for him. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Speaking of Do AEW. It looks like Dolph is going to have to have a new finish. <laughs> I can't wait. To, almost, I can't wait. Almost finished me with that. I, I can't wait to get off the air today and call Dolph and go, you, you bastard! You almost killed Jerry the King Lawler. What the hell's wrong oh, with you? He, you st- he knows you stiff prick. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've talked about it a little bit. I mean, so, certainly. I mean, you know, and he wasn't doing it intentionally or anything. But I'm telling you, you know, Bubba, you probably know, and Mark, you know too. I mean, I've I've been in this business 49 years. And the way they work today is so it's a, it's a, it's miles and miles apart from the way we used to work. I mean, you know, we used to pride each other on on uh, not being you stiff. Know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now it's like, oh my gosh, these guys literally are just beating each other's brains out. It's crazy. King, um, do you think? Okay, could Jerry the King Lawler at 35 years old have worked the style of snugness that we see in pro wrestling today? Did I work the style at 35? No. Could you? Could you work that style? Would that be something you would have been interested in knowing that the world of pro wrestling you came from? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could have. I mean, uh, and, and I feel like I could have. I just, Especially I don't know, from a guy just, that uh, invented walk and talk. 
yeah. I mean, you you, you could have, but it's just. Uh, I mean, you know, I, that that match that I had that night was the last match that I had in uh, in the WWE, and it's because you know I'm. I'm even the doctors told uh, my fiance Lawrence. She said, "Well, you know, he's been cleared by his own cardiologist. He's wrestled a hundred times since that. Why is the WWE not clearing to wrestle?" And he said. Well, they just they just look at him as a liability now, and the fact that they think that you know if they allowed him to go back out there and something did, God forbid, something did happen, that the public you know the public uh, response would be, oh my gosh, why would you let a guy that had a heart attack or a cardiac arrest go back in the ring, you know? But, okay. but uh, I mean, the guys that I work with now, like the Keith Youngblood and these guys, they're they're all working the you know they're all working the WWE style now. It's uh, and it's, it, it is it is different, but I mean you know it's it's just something you got you, you got to uh, be ready for it. You know you got to you got to not be laying there like I was with with Dolph Ziggler thinking, oh here comes ten elbows. That'll be no you know that'll be a walk in the park. <laughs> <laughs> well, King, we are happy that you are alive and well and still performing, and you will be in the ring wrestling tonight. Northeast Wrestling presents Prison Break. 8 o'clock tonight at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. Tickets are still available. You can see the Northeast Wrestling Tag Team Champions, our guest, Jerry the King Lawler, and Keith Youngblood versus King Brian, and the man who is trying to be a bootleg version of of, uh, Andy Kaufman, (laughs) David Arquette, and in the main event, John Moxley versus Pentagon Jr., King all the respect in the world to you. Thank yes, you very much for joining us this morning. Me and Mark definitely loved talking to you. I'm sure our fans loved hearing from you. And uh, God bless you, brother. And I uh, hope to see you down the road. We, we got to get you on again so we could t- tell more stories because I, I was I was holding that one in my pocket. And I, I'm, I'm glad that I got to discuss it with you, man. We look forward to hearing from you again. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you, thank you, Bubba. Uh, I really appreciate it. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news, they have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. Me and Dave talked a lot about Brock and Seth. Wanted to get your take on that match. Did you enjoy the match? And to and to you, who was the MVP of that match? Brock Lesnar or Seth Rollins? The the MVP was Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar was the was the MVP of the entire weekend because of the position that he put Seth in. He was the guy that pulled the rug out from under himself a couple of times and was selfless in getting Seth over. And you never could tell. Anybody that says, oh, I knew that uh, Seth was going over all along is a lying piece of shit. That match was so well put together, and it was such a surprise to see all the things that transpired. And and it was on, only Brock could do that. Like, even Seth couldn't even begin to go to Brock and go, hey, can you think you could do this for me? No. Brock did that. The, the things that, that happened uh, was what he knew he could give to make give life to another guy. Mark, I was telling uh, listeners last week that when you are in the ring with Brock Lesnar, he is in 100% total control. Of everything at all times, would you agree or disagree? I, I would agree because this is a guy that that you know when Brock first came, the first week that he came to Louisville for Ohio Valley Wrestling, uh, I used to have something called final exam time, and any shooter, any you know wrestler that you know was over, uh, I challenged them. I was like, "It's final exam time. Who's who's gonna do it?" And I, I've been in there with Sylvester Turkey. I've been in there with Randy. I've been in there with with Shelton, with Brock, Ryan Waterman, Don Fry, like a bunch of Bobby Lashley, like a, a host of, of names that are synonymous with fighting and, 
and wrestling. And Brock, out of all of those guys, Brock is the only guy that hurt me. Brock hurt you how? He hyperextended my knee. He low-level shot me from about six feet away. He was six feet away. I knew he was out of range. There's no way he could get me from here. So wait, 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 describe in detail to our listeners. When you say a low-level shoot, I know what you're talking about, but just describe okay, to the well, listeners. Let me, let me explain what a low-level shoot is. A low-level shoot is if you're within maybe three or four feet of somebody and you lunge at them, you put your knee on the floor, and you grab the back of their heel with your hand, that's called a low-level shoot. You have lunged below the waist, put your knee on the ground, and made contact with the other wrestler's leg. Trying to take you off the ground. Trying to take me off my feet. Off your feet, right. Brock did this from over six feet away. I, I knew for a fact that he could not get me. And he not only did it from, from that distance, but it was a double. He put one knee on the ground, and then he put the other knee on the ground, and he got me. And his shoulder was at my knee, and his hand was on my heel. And it just, just hyperextended my knee. It popped. And I was like, oh, my God. And he was like, oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. And I was like, oh, you hurt me. He's like, no. And I was like, yes, no, (laughs) because he was afraid he was going to get in trouble. And I said, bro, this is my thing. You ain't getting in trouble. And and that was it was fun for me. That wasn't fun getting hurt. But nonetheless, I knew that Brock was special because one, how fast he moved for such a big guy. I had no idea. That he could move that fast. And, and he's about 300 he, pounds at the time. Well, he was about 280 at this okay, time. This okay, is his okay. first week in wrestling. And, man, he got to me in a laser beam and was strong enough to actually hold my leg because I tried. The reason it hyperextended is because I tried to pull out and I couldn't. Like, he, he's strong and fast, and there's nothing that you can do if he wants you. And there's a lot of guys in the UFC that'll tell you the same. I've been talking about the one guy that I would love to see Brock Lesnar involved with in a storyline. But this guy's so far, you know, out of, cre- you know, off the creative pages that I don't think that they would do it. But I think I know. you might. Uh, it, it, I know. It's Shelton. It's Shelton, Shelton. Benjamin. Because Shelton is, the, Shelton is the only guy, and Mark, feel free to shoot me down if I'm wrong. Shelton Benjamin is legitimately the only guy that can hang with Brock on the mat and might even put Brock on his back. Well, let me tell you a little story. When they both came, the reason that uh, Shelton was the kind of the leader is he taught Brock. When Brock came to Minnesota as a freshman in college, Shelton was a sophomore going into his junior season, and he was the actual player coach for all of the rookies because the head coach was busy with the senior guys and the guys that were on the Olympic track. So Shelton was so good that he he entrusted Shelton to teaching the young guys, and Brock was the youngest. And he took Brock under his wing Taught Brock most everything he knows, but not everything he knows. Mm. And that would be an unbelievable story if it was allowed to be told in the way from Brock and Shelton. I can see it now, both of them in dark, smoky rooms, talking about their experience from the first day they met until now. And you can do it because I actually saw them both wrestle against each other in Louisville. And... Brock could not take Shelton down. Shelton can get Brock on his hip because he is that damn good. And I wish that we could have Bradshaw on or uh, Ron Simmons or Undertaker because they were at the ring with me when Shelton and Kurt Angle had a match at a show one time. Just They were just playing around. Wait, 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 wait. Shelton and Kurt? Oh yeah, they went at it. They they did what, like a what little... year was this? I don't remember this. I remember Brock and Kurt, but I don't remember Shelton and Kurt. This is probably 08 or 09. Oh, okay, I wasn't there. All right, all right. 
So and what happened? It, it, we had to break them up because Curtis was Olympic champion and he he couldn't have his way with Shelton. And Shelton was giving Kurt all he could handle. Wow. And it got to the point to where somebody's face got scratched or uh, pushed in the face or something. That's what happened. Shelton put his hand on Kurt's head and Kurt said, hey, I broke my freaking neck. And he said, well, don't wrestle. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm wow. like, bro, it got real tense. It got re- This is one of those ultimate wrestling stories that we would have to have Kurt Angle and Shelton talk about it. It's over. They squashed it. But a healthy Kurt Angle being Olympic champion would beat Shelton Benjamin. But at this point, the way it was going, they looked like equals. Because I remember, I remember in like 2001, two, uh, right around that time, when at about five o'clock in the afternoon, when Kurt Angle was sparring with Brock Lesnar, and all the boys were out there watching oh, this one. Oh yeah, Sella, I remember. It was it, it was sold out at, at ringside. It looked like a giant lumberjack match. There were so so many boys around the ring, and from what I remember, Kurt had. Kurt had Brock in that like arm lock, so so uh, Kurt was on his back, and Brock was standing up, and Kurt had had Brock in like an arm bar, like uh like like uh, one of those like Tessakatami, oh Kamor, okay Kamora, great, and there was nowhere for Brock to go, and Brock just picked Kurt up right off the, off the mat, yeah. just. Just cock strong, picked him up right off the ground in the air. And I believe that's when Undertaker stopped the whole thing because we, yeah. we don't want to see anybody get hurt. Yeah, and then he did the same thing. Taker is the guy that caused the shots. And he stopped it when Kurt and and Shelton went at it. Stopped wow, this okay, is guys, awesome. that's enough. And I, I wish that, you know, oh, you're welcome, Busted Open Nation. Because this is this, this is the 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 kind of talk that only you can get on busted open because there's nobody that ha- one has a platform but there's only two guys that was there you're welcome mark i wish i hope the fans listening have as big of smile on their faces as me and you do have right now yeah. telling these stories because uh i haven't told this story in a while i'm sure i've never heard the kurt and uh shelton story so i appreciate you telling it like what you're hearing catch busted open live weekdays from 9 a.m to 12 p.m eastern on sirius xm fight nation channel 156 or on demand with the sirius xm app and we have a little bit of breaking news oh breaking news breaking news i just had to call sheldon benjamin and Sheldon just informed me that what I was talking about was him breaking up Brock and and Kurt in Hershey, Pennsylvania. They he broke one up, but it wasn't him. That, it, Minneapolis was the first one. Is what I, I turned it off. Um, the first one was Brock and Shelton. I mean uh, Shelton and and Kurt, and it ended up getting broken up. But they did it again in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And that was that one got out of hand as well because Kurt was getting the best of him, and Shelton ended up being the one that broke it up. But there was no fisticuffs with Shelton and Kurt. My all bad. Right. Well, we we got Confusing. that cleared up. But it, it, it's all good. But I think we could still agree that Shelton versus uh, Brock Lesnar would be a very interesting storyline. Yes, it um, would. Let me ask you this: Brock has been announced for the first SmackDown Live on Fox. You're also going to be on that show. It's kind of going to be like a SmackDown reunion. Brock put Seth over strong. I agree with you that Brock was the MVP of that match. Do you want to see Brock Lesnar wrestle or do anything before he debuts on that first show on Fox? Not at all. I think that Brock should be a man stewing in his misery. He should show up on Fox with a beard, unshaven. 
He needs to come to the ring. Paul Heyman gets ready to start talking, and he grabs the microphone from Paul and says, I haven't slept since SummerSlam. I've not eaten the way that I normally eat because food just don't taste right. I want Seth Rollins to bring his ass out here. You're going to Suplex City. And Paul get out of the ring, throw the microphone, and have an angry monster standing in the ring and will not leave. You thought Samoa Joe last week holding the ring up would be scary? Imagine Brock Lesnar standing in that ring and then Vince McMahon coming down going, hey, uh, we got a show to do. You don't call the shots. Vince McMahon, if you don't get your ass out of this ring, you're going to Suplex City. Uh, okay, uh, let's get Seth Rollins out here <laughs> because that's the TV I want to see. But do you want to see Brock and Seth get back into it? I love the picture that you just painted about seeing a different side of Brock Lesnar. Brock with that beard and Brock for the first time admitting he hasn't been able to sleep. For the first time admitting that somebody got the best of him and got under his skin. But wouldn't you like to, since it's going to be on SmackDown... If Kofi is still the champion, would you like to see Brock take his frustrations out on Kofi Kingston and start going down that road? I think that uh, this is the place where you let Randy Orton and Kofi continue. Um, This should run for a while. Both of those guys, it's emotional. I love the storylines. The family has been involved now. And I think that we got to see Kofi Kingston out of his comfort zone and out of his character the way that he went off. I think a little bit Randy got him back, but Randy has not even began to put Kofi in his place. They they got a long road to hoe. And, I mean, as a country uh, farmer sense, but there's a long road to hoe with those two. They need to keep it going. Um. What exactly is a long road of hoes? I didn't say a load of hoes. What? That's another show entirely. What I did say you say? A, a long row to hoe. And that <laughs> is a farmer tense, <laughs> sir. Sir. <laughs> I think you said a long road of hoes. You know what? You there, made me think there, of the Godfather. When you start farming, you know, let's have a conversation, man, because there's this tool called the hoe that you dig trenches with. Let me enunciate this extremely perfect for you because I don't want you to get me in trouble. There, you get there will in be trouble. no hoes, sir. There will be no, sir. I'm a trucker, there's, so I got to weigh the load. There's there's this tool called a hoe. All right. On that note, I want to head out into the nation. Um, Sean in Kansas City, did you know that there was a tool called a hoe? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay. And what do you think about that? (laughs) Sean, you want to talk about about Brock Lesnar. What do you think about Brock's performance against Seth? And what do you think of Brock overall right now? I loved it. I loved it. I was I called uh, the week before, and I was the one that said that I didn't think that Seth had a chance because he couldn't even hold the chair when he walked out on stage. Um, and I, when I saw the match, I totally loved it. Like you said, Brock sold the match. I mean, he was a difference maker for sure. And my question was, I stepped away from the radio for a minute, but my question was, when you guys were saying that um, people that can hang with Brock on the mat, what about Bobby Lashley? I know he was a high school and college wrestler. Do you think he could give Brock a run for his money? Oh, Sean dropped out for a second there, but we did get his uh, call. What do you think about that? Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar. Man, that that would be awesome. I would love to see that. But I think that right now that's something down the road because I'm still interested in right now. Why are we jumping the gun? Why are we forcing these guys out when they're doing stuff that's so entertaining right now? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, you know, Randy and, and Kofi, there's a lot of meat on that bone. Same thing with Seth and, and Brock. There's a lot of, lot of substance there. And I think that both of these guys or both of these matches could go on for a little bit longer. And I, Mark, I'm that, into it. I, 
I got to disagree with you on second Seth and Brock. I, I don't think there's any more to do. Brock put Seth over at WrestleMania, and he put Seth over at SummerSlam. I don't know where you could go from there because I don't think Brock being the universal champion um, gets gets them any farther. I think the most important thing for the WWE right now is to have Brock on SmackDown, on Fox. Um, Brock is synonymous with a championship. So by the time they get to get to October, November, whenever they debut, I'd love to see Brock breathing down the neck of Kofi Kingston. If Kofi can get by Randy Orton, I love the story of Randy and Brock because Randy owes Brock a receipt from busting an open, busting him open, putting like eight staples in his head. Um, want to head back out to the nation real quick. AJ in Georgia. Um, what do you think they should do with Brock Lesnar right now? And it looks like Trish and Charlotte was your favorite match from SummerSlam, huh? Yes, sir. Um, with the Brock situation, I like your idea. Make them all delusional and deranged over this championship loss. Bring them back strong and literally come out uh, the first night on Fox. Vince comes out. F5 Vince. Kofi comes out, talking smack, F5 him, and then start down that road. Uh, Seth and Brock are pretty much over. Brock killed it. I never expected anything like that from Brock. He's a phenomenal performer, but, man, he was elite that night on putting Seth over. I give so much credit to Brock Lesnar on that match. The match that I loved, though, was Charlotte and Trish. Um, But it kind of felt like, in my opinion, I talked to Mark about this in the past with Dave, it kind of felt like the WWE tried to one-up um, the Gail Kim uh, match from six weeks ago uh, with Tessa Blanchard. It's like, oh, you can do it, but we can do it better on a bigger stage. And I just want to know your opinion on that. Well, AJ, let me ask you this, buddy. Why wouldn't you try to one-up something? Yeah. Doesn't that just, isn't that just good competition? It's phenomenal competition. Um, I think they just rushed it too much. There wasn't enough backstory. The two weeks, we've talked about that for about three weeks now. They just rushed it to put it together. Um, that's something I think they could have sat there and that's a WrestleMania match there. I mean, Trish Stratus, one of the, you know, one of the best in the business on the women's division. Charlotte Flair, dude, she's a super athlete. She could go toe-to-toe with some men out there today in the business. And Bully and Mark, you both said that. Why wouldn't you make that a WrestleMania moment? All right, AJ. Thanks very much for the call. Uh, Mark, Trish and um, Charlotte, I got to tell you, five minutes into the match, I was concerned because I could see that Charlotte was carrying Trish. Charlotte was putting her in the right positions And I was wondering if that rust was going to get knocked off. And then all of a sudden, bang, it kicked in. And I thought Trish and Charlotte did a phenomenal job. And I'm not, and and for, for, for the rest of the match, I'm not giving it all to Charlotte. I'm giving the, I'm giving the glory to Trish also, because I think once she got comfortable, because Mark, you can't step away from a ring as long as Trish did, and then just step right back in and be your old self again. You need a couple of minutes under your belt. And once that happened, I thought they got on track. And I'm glad they got the time to do it. And I'm going to tell you exactly the point in which the match became two equals rather than Charlotte carrying it is when she kicked Trish and Trish took the bump from the ring to the floor. Yep. All the rust came off right then. It was real to her. She was like, oh, so that's what that feels like again. Well, let me show you a little something I learned down the road. And that match ended up being a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It's so funny that you say that because I remember back 20 years ago in watching Trish work and working with Trish that Trish was at her best when she got smacked around a little bit. Like if you beat Trish up a little bit, smacked her around and bumped her hard, all of a sudden it came right out of her. And you pointed out that that moment in time that when she took that bump to the floor, that's where you saw the switch go off. Um, yeah. that, that it, it's, it's crazy that we see that from the exact same 
point of view. Thanks for listening. Catch us weekdays on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.